Chapter thirty five of The Law and the Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wiebke Müller. The Law and the Lady by Wilkie Collins. Chapter thirty five. Mr. Playmore's Prophecy. We reached London between eight and nine in the evening. Strictly methodical in all his habits, Benjamin had telegraphed to his housekeeper from Edinburgh to have supper ready for us by ten o'clock, and to send the cabman whom he always employed to meet us at the station. Arriving at the villa, we were obliged to wait for a moment to let a pony chaise get by us before we could draw up at Benjamin's door. The chaise passed very slowly, driven by a rough-looking man with a pipe in his mouth. But for the man I might have doubted whether the pony was quite a stranger to me. As things were, I thought no more of the matter. Benjamin's respectable old housekeeper opened the garden gate and startled me by bursting into a devout ejaculation of gratitude at the sight of her master. "'The Lord be praised, sir!' she cried. "'I thought he would never come back!' "'Anything wrong?' asked Benjamin, in his own impenetrably quiet way. The housekeeper trembled at the question, and answered in this enigmatical words, "'My mind's upset, sir, and whether things are wrong or whether things are right is more than I can say. Hours ago a strange man came in and asked—' She stopped, as if she were completely bewildered, looked for a moment vacantly at her master, and suddenly addressed herself to me. "'And asked,' she proceeded, "'when you was expected back, ma'am, I told him what my master had telegraphed, and the man says upon that, "'Wait a bit,' he says, "'I'm coming back.' He came back in a minute or less, and he carried a thing in his arms, which curdled my blood, it did, and set me shaking from the crown of my head to the sole of my foot. I know I ought to have stopped it, but I couldn't stand upon my legs, much less put the man out of the house. In he went, without, with your leave, or by your leave, Mr. Benjamin, sir, in he went, with the thing in his arms, straight through to your library, and there it has been all these hours, and there it is now. I've spoken to the police, but they wouldn't interfere, and what to do next is more than my poor head can tell. Don't you go in by yourself, ma'am. You'll be frightened out of your wits. You will. I persisted in entering the house for all that. Aided by the pony, I easily solved the mystery of the housekeeper's otherwise unintelligible narrative. Passing through the dining-room, where the supper-table was already laid for us, I looked through the half-open library door. Yes. There was Miserrimus Dexter, arrayed in his pink jacket, fast asleep in Benjamin's favourite armchair. No coverlet hid his horrible deformity. Nothing was sacrificed to conventional ideas of propriety in his extraordinary dress. I could hardly wonder that the poor old housekeeper trembled from head to foot when she spoke of him. Valeria, said Benjamin, pointing to the portent in the chair. Which is it, an Indian idol or a man? I have already described Miserrimus Dexter as possessing the sensitive ear of a dog. He now allowed that he also slept the light sleep of a dog. Quietly as Benjamin had spoken, the strange voice aroused him on the instant. He rubbed his eyes and smiled as innocently as a waking child. "'How do you do, Mrs. Valeria?' he said. "'I have had a nice little sleep. You don't know how happy I am to see you again. Who is this?' He rubbed his eyes once more, and looked at Benjamin. Not knowing what else to do in this extraordinary emergency, I presented my visitor to the master of the house. "'Excuse my getting up, sir,' said Miserrimus Dexter. "'I can't get up. I have no licks. You look as if you thought I was occupying your chair.' 
if i am committing an intrusion be so good as to put your umbrella under me and give me a jerk i shall fall on my hands and i shan't be offended with you i will submit to a tumble and a scolding but please don't break my heart by sending me away that beautiful woman there can be very cruel sometimes sir when the fit takes her she went away when i stood in the sorest need of a little talk with her she went away and left me to my loneliness and my suspense i am a poor deformed wretch with a warm heart and perhaps an insatiable curiosity as well insatiable curiosity have you ever felt it is a curse i bore it until my brains began to boil in my head and then i sent for my gardener and made him drive me here i like being here the air of your library soothes me the sight of mrs valeria's balm to my wounded heart she has something to tell me something that i am dying to hear if she is not too tired after her journey and if you will let her tell me i promise to have myself taken away when she's done dear mr benjamin you look like the refuge of the afflicted i am afflicted shake hands like a good christian and take me in he held out his hand his soft blue eyes melted into an expression of piteous entreaty completely stupefied by the amazing herring of which he had been made the object benjamin took the offered hand with the air of a man in a dream i hope i see you well sir he said mechanically and then looked around at me to know what he was to do next i understand mr dexter i whispered leave him to me benjamin stole a last bewildered look at the object in the chair bowed to it with the instinct of politeness which never failed him and still with the air of a man in a dream withdrew into the next room left together we looked at each other for the first moment in silence whether i unconsciously drew on that inexhaustible store of indulgence which a woman always keeps in reserve for a man who owns that he has need of her or whether resenting as i did mr playmore's horrible suspicion of him my heart was especially accessible to feelings of compassion in his unhappy case i cannot tell i only know that i pitied miserrimus dexter at that moment as i had never pitied him yet and that i spared him the reproof which i should certainly have administered to any other man who had taken the liberty of establishing himself uninvited in benjamin's house he was the first to speak lady clarinda has destroyed your confidence in me he began wildly lady clarinda has done nothing of the sort i replied she has not attempted to influence my opinion i was really obliged to leave london as i told you he sighed and closed his eyes contentedly as if i had relieved him of a heavy weight of anxiety be merciful to me he said and tell me something more i have been so miserable in your absence he suddenly opened his eyes again and looked at me with an appearance of the greatest interest are you very much fatigued by travelling he proceeded i am hungry for news of what happened at the major's dinner-party is it cruel of me to tell you so when you have not rested after your journey only one question to-night and i will leave the rest till to-morrow what did lady clarinda say about mrs bowley all that you wanted to hear all and more i answered what 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 he cried wild with impatience in a moment mr playmore's last prophetic words were vividly present to my mind he had declared in the most positive manner that dexter would persist in misleading me and would show no signs of astonishment when i repeated what lady clarinda had told me of mrs bowley i resolved to put the lawyer's prophecy so far as the question of astonishment was concerned to the sharpest attainable test i said not a word to miserrimus dexter in the way of preface or preparation i burst on him with my news as abruptly as possible 
the person you saw in the corridor was not mrs bowley i said it was the maid dressed in her mistress's cloak and hat mrs bowley herself was not in the house at all mrs bowley herself was dancing at a masked ball in edinburgh there is what the maid told lady clarinda and there is what lady clarinda told me in the absorbing interest of the moment i poured out those words one after another as fast as they would pass my lips miserrimus dexter completely falsified the lawyer's prediction he shuddered under the shock his eyes opened wide with amazement say it again he cried i can't take it all in at once you stun me i was more than contented with this result i triumphed in my victory for once i had really some reason to feel satisfied with myself i had taken the christian and merciful side in my discussion with mr playmore and i had won my reward i could sit in the same room with miserrimus dexter and feel the blessed conviction that i was not breathing the same air with the poisoner was it not worth the visit to edinburgh to have made sure of that in repeating at his own desire what i had already said to him i took care to add the details which made lady clarinda's narrative coherent and credible he listened through all with breathless attention here and there repeating the words after me to impress them the more surely and the more deeply on his mind what is to be said what is to be done he asked with a look of blank despair i can't believe it from first to last strange as it is it sounds true how would mr playmore have felt if he had heard those words i did him the justice to believe that he would have felt heartily ashamed of himself there is nothing to be said i rejoined except that mrs bowley is innocent and that you and i have done her a grievous wrong don't you agree with me i entirely agree with you he answered without an instant's hesitation mrs bowley is an innocent woman the defence at the trial was the right defence after all he folded his arms complacently he looked perfectly satisfied to leave the matter there i was not of his mind to my own amazement i now found myself the least reasonable person of the two miserrimus dexter to use the popular phrase had given me more than i had bargained for he had not only done all that i had anticipated in the way of falsifying mr playmore's prediction he had actually advanced beyond my limits i could go the length of recognizing mrs bowley's innocence but at that point i stopped if the defence at the trial were the right defence farewell to all hope of asserting my husband's innocence i held to that hope as i held to my love and my life speak for yourself i said my opinion of the defence remains unchanged he started and knit his brows as if i had disappointed and displeased him does that mean that you are determined to go on it does he was downright angry with me he cast his customary politeness to the winds absurd impossible he cried contemptuously you have yourself declared that we've wronged an innocent woman when we suspected mrs bowley is there any one else whom we can suspect it's ridiculous to ask the question there's no alternative left but to accept the facts as they are and to stir no further in the matter of the poisoning at gleninch it's childish to dispute plain conclusions you must give up you may be angry with me if you will mr dexter neither your anger nor your arguments will make me give up he controlled himself by an effort he was quiet and polite again when he next spoke to me very well pardon me for a moment if i absorb myself in my own thoughts i want to do something which i have not done yet what may that be mr dexter i am going to put myself into mrs bowley's skin and to think with mrs bowley's mind give me a minute thank you what did he mean what new transformation of him was passing before my eyes was there ever such a puzzle of a man as this 
who that saw him now intently pursuing his new train of thought would have recognized him as the childish creature who had awoke so innocently and had astonished benjamin by the infantine nonsense which he talked it is said and said truly that there are many sides to every human character dexter's many sides were developing themselves at such a rapid rate of progress that they were already beyond my counting he lifted his head and fixed a look of keen inquiry on me i have come out of mrs bowley's skin he announced and i have arrived at this result we are two impetuous people and we have been a little hasty in rushing at a conclusion he stopped i said nothing was the shadow of a doubt of him beginning to rise in my mind i waited and listened i am as fully satisfied as ever of the truth of what lady clorinda told you he proceeded but i see on consideration what i failed to see at the time the story admits of two interpretations one on the surface and another under the surface i look under the surface in your interests and i say it is just possible that mrs bowley may have been cunning enough to forestall suspicion and to set up an alibi i am ashamed to own that i did not understand what he meant by the last word alibi he saw that i was not following him and spoke out more plainly was the maid something more than her mistress's passive accomplice he said was she the hand that her mistress used was she on her way to give the first dose of poison when she passed me in this corridor did mrs bowley spend the night in edinburgh so as to have her defence ready if suspicion fell upon her my shadowy doubt of him became substantial doubt when i heard that had i absolved him a little too readily was he really trying to renew my suspicions of mrs bowley as mr playmore had foretold this time i was obliged to answer him in doing so i unconsciously employed one of the phrases which the lawyer had used to me during my first interview with him that sounds rather far-fetched mr dexter i said to my relief he made no attempt to defend the new view that he had advanced it is far-fetched he admitted when i say it was just possible though i didn't claim much for my idea i said more for it perhaps than it deserved dismiss my view as ridiculous what are you to do next if mrs bowley is not the poisoner either by herself or by her maid who is she is innocent and eustace is innocent where is the other person whom you can suspect have i poisoned her he cried with his eyes flashing and his voice rising to its highest notes do you does anybody suspect me i loved her i adored her i have never been the same man since her death hush i will trust you with a secret don't tell your husband it might be the destruction of our friendship i would have married her before she met with eustace if she would have taken me when the doctors told me she had died poisoned ask dr jerome what i suffered he can tell you all through that horrible night i was awake watching my opportunity until i found my way to her i got into the room and took my last leave of the cold remains of the angel whom i loved i cried over her i kissed her for the first and last time i stole one little lock of her hair i have worn it ever since i have kissed it night and day oh god the room comes back to me the dead face comes back to me look look he tore from its place of concealment at his bosom a little locket fastened by a ribbon round his neck he threw it to me where i sat and burst into a passion of tears a man in my place might have known what to do being only a woman i yielded to the compassionate impulse of the moment i got up and crossed the room to him i gave him back his locket and put my hand without knowing what i was about on the poor wretch's shoulder 
i am incapable of suspecting you mr dexter i said gently no such idea ever entered my head i pity you from the bottom of my heart he caught my hand in his and devoured it with kisses his lips burned me like fire he twisted himself suddenly in the chair and wound his arm round my waist in the terror and indignation of the moment mainly struggling with him i cried out for help the door opened and benjamin appeared on the threshold dexter let go his hold of me i ran to benjamin and prevented him from advancing into the room in all my long experience of my fatherly old friend i had never seen him really angry yet i saw him more than angry now he was pale the patient gentle old man was pale with rage i held him at the door with all my strength you can't lay your hand on a cripple i said send for the men outside to take him away i drew benjamin out of the room and closed and locked the library door the housekeeper was in the dining-room i sent her out to call the driver for the pony-chaise into the house the man came in the rough man whom i had noticed when we were approaching the garden-gate benjamin opened the library door in stern silence it was perhaps unworthy of me but i could not resist the temptation to look in miserrimus dexter had sunk down in the chair the rough man lifted his master with a gentleness that surprised me hide my face i heard dexter say to him in broken tones he opened his coarse pilot jacket and hid his master's head under it and so went silently out with a deformed creature held to his bosom like a woman sheltering her child End of chapter thirty five